Hello and welcome to the next MDD Claims Interview. Under the microscope today, we have someone from a long, long way away, Tim Dearden from IGI. Hello, Tim. Hi, Barry. It's great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. And so everybody knows who you are and where you're from. Tell us where you're speaking from this morning. I'm in a man in Jordan where we have IGI's headquarters. I'm the group head of claims here running our claims operation from our Jordan office. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to this interview. I've known you for many years. I know there's some great stories in there. So let's see how we get on this morning. And let's start where we always start, which is, Tim, how did you come to be in the insurance industry? Well, I don't actually remember laying awake at night dreaming of being in the insurance industry. So it's probably fair to say that the insurance industry found me rather than me going to look for it. Actually, interestingly, my first job was as a a, a professional footballer with Ipswich Town. And my first boss was the late, great Bobby Robson. Fantastic man, fantastic character, man with so much integrity. He taught me a lot about teamwork and fair play but at some stage or another he obviously realized I wasn't very good at football and rather than drop down a couple of leagues I decided it was time for me to go and get a proper job so I remember going to the careers office and the lady at the careers office said to me so what would you like to do Tim and I said I I don't really know I've been used to working outside but I don't see myself on a construction site and at the same time see myself working behind a desk eight hours a day so she said we've got the job for you insurance broker she said you spend half the time in the office and half your time out of the office so I said that sounds great so I had an interview with Wigan Poland the rest is history that's you know that's really interesting Tim Bobby Robson what a man what a manager are there any great stories from your time at Ipswich that you can tell the audience about there's lots of stories but not many I can tell you about But I will tell you about my first meeting with Bobby Robson was actually my first day at the club. And I was leaving the changing rooms to get the minibus to go to the training ground. And he happened to be coming down the stairs from his office. And he said to me, where are you going, son? I said, I'm going training, boss. He said, no, you're not. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going training, boss. And he said, no, you're not. Where are you going? So I said, well, I thought I was going training, boss. But where am I going? And he said, you're not going anywhere in this club until you take that stupid earring out of your ear. And with that, the earring came out. I didn't even remember or realise that I was wearing it, but it went on the floor and and I never wore it again. Great story. Great story, Tim. Let's just talk about IGI for a second, because one of the reasons I've got you on this is IGI is a growing brand, making some interesting moves in the marketplace. And it is quite interesting talking to someone who's very much in the marketplace, but actually is so far away in some respects. So tell us, what's it like working for IGI? Barry, it's been a fantastic journey. It's been a great success story. And I've been so proud to be a part of it since 2014. If you consider the beginnings back in 2002, which was our first year of trading, we had a $50 million capacity, which was mainly utilized with energy business. And in 2020, we wrote $467 million worth of business. Wow. Uh, we're now circa 20 classes of business. And we went public on NASDAQ in March last year. We've now got five offices around the world in Kuala Lumpur, London, which is our main underwriting office, one in Dubai and one in Casablanca. And obviously, the HQ here and we're just about to 
open our Maltese office, which will facilitate uh, a growing European book as well. I think the attraction for me, one of the attractions for me was the fact that the business considers claims as important as underwriting. And I do remember my first meeting with Wasab Jabshi, who's the chairman and CEO, and he said two things that really did resonate with me. He said, I love paying claims. And he said, we are a family. And he and the rest of the business and the execs have been true to their word in respect to both of those. So from day one, I was given the remit to establish an international claims operation and grow both our teams in Amman and in London, build our claims expertise, which was to mirror our underwriting operations. And I think we've made great strides in that respect. I think a number of reasons we've got this success. One really important one for me is that decision-making is only one step away. We've kept as much of a flat structure as we possibly can, and it's only one phone call or one meeting and decisions are made. We don't have a meeting to then have another meeting. You know, another key to the success has been the controlled growth and the diversity of the book. With growth, obviously, we get challenges, but we have a measured approach to this, and that's helped sustain the success I'm a great believer that obviously cracks appear when you grow, but you can't put a band-aid over it. You have to find a resolution that's sustainable. And and that's what we do. Really interesting, Tim. Really interesting. So you're working abroad. What's that like? Fantastic. I've really enjoyed it, to be honest. My previous jobs, Marsh and and, and earlier jobs, I I travelled a lot anyway. So it didn't particularly phase me about working abroad. Because there were times, particularly at Marsh, when I felt that the UK was just a base for me. But the fact is, I'd never been to Jordan. That was one of the countries I'd never been to. And obviously, I needed to come and have a look before I joined. And I was invited to come here twice. And apart from the driving, Barry, it's been fantastic. You know, some of my friends think that I have another job with the Jordan Tourist Board. Anybody that's listening, this place has got to be on your bucket list. I mean, I could talk about... Petra and I can talk about the Dead Sea, but they're just two of many things in a beautiful country. It's very diverse in its culture. It's very westernised. A lot of people uh, who've been, say, to Dubai or, or the Gulf, they think that's what it's like, and, and it isn't. It's got culture and it's got history, but it's also very modern. Like anywhere else, there, it has its frustrations. My biggest frustration is the fact that I can't get anchor butter. And I'm not a Lurpak man. When people do come to visit, they have to be loaded up with two blocks of anchor butter for me. This last 18 months has been tough as well. My my eldest daughter is in the UK and I haven't seen her for about 15 months, I think. You know, And she's been my best friend ever since she was very, very young. But overall, Barry, this is a great place. I, I encourage people when they come and visit us and we have... Prior to this pandemic, we had monthly visitors and I'd always try and encourage them to tag on an extra couple of days so they can go and have a look around. Those that didn't always want to come back because I think what they see, they didn't really expect. It's a great place to be, great people. So let's talk a little bit more about your career. You've been a broker and an insurer. What have you enjoyed about these roles most? They're very different, obviously. But it's interesting that our objective is the same. We both want satisfied customers, both in both as a carrier and as a broker. What I found being a broker, particularly with my time at Marsh, is that there is a massive duty 
to manage a client's expectations, not only a client's expectations, but insurer's expectations. And the earlier that that's done, that leads to a satisfactory claims experience for everyone. I do question whether that's done enough these days. Certainly from my experience, the results were always better and quicker if that's done at an early stage. Leading a, a claims operation for a carrier is very different because I suppose in a broker, you tend to deal with one line of business, whereas as a, in a carrier, you, the various lines of business that you have to deal with, as I said, you know, we have circa 20 lines of business. But I really did enjoy my time, particularly at Marsh, quite a unique role, really, which is complex and distressed claims. And I've had some great experiences and some funny experiences. I remember he'll remain nameless, but he'll know who he is. I had a great relationship with the Vietnamese over six or seven years at Marsh. We had a control the world claim that had quite a big number on it. I knew it wasn't covered and he knew it wasn't covered. The market knew it wasn't covered. And he said, Tim, will you go to Vietnam and talk to these people? And I said, no. I said, if you, if you don't think it's covered, you go. And we laughed. <laughs> and in the end, I, I agreed to go. So I was sitting around the boardroom table at oil and gas production company, the CEO and the CFO and the two drilling engineers. And the drilling engineers were trying to explain to me why their well was out of control. So they had a book, they, they took a bottle of water, took the lid off, and those in, in the energy world will understand this, and they put two pencils down because they were fishing for tools they'd lost down the well. So <laughs> they were pushing these pencils in and out and then squeezed the bottle so the water came out to explain that they'd lost control of the well. So I picked the lid up and put it on the bottle and said, yes, but you've controlled it with surface BOP. So no, you controlled it. So he said, no, no, but next day, and he picked another bottle up and he said, next day, same thing, two pencils. We were fishing, fishing, and then he squeezed the bottle. The water came out. And he said, out of control. So I just picked the lid up and I to put it back on. I said, yes, but you controlled it by the BOP. And the wording says, that's not out of control. We went through eight bottles of water. The ballroom table was covered in water. I finally managed to persuade them that, that the policy didn't respond and it, it was successful and they withdrew their claim. So I've enjoyed both roles for very different reasons in, in equal measure. Yeah. I mean... You've just reinforced my view, Tim, that you're a great character. And so my next question sort of sits really well with that, which is, what is it that you enjoy most about being in the marketplace? Do you know, it's a great place to work. You know, it's unique. There's no other industry that is quite like it. I mean, the history of the market and, and Lloyd's is it's just fascinating. And I remember the first time somebody told me about utmost good faith. And it was difficult for me to understand at that young age that, that deals were actually done over coffee or over a glass of wine and, and those handshakes were upheld. And even if there was a claim two days after before the paperwork was done, it, it was paid. And that doesn't exist very much in any other industry that I'm aware of. But I don't like classifying it as just the London market. You know, we, we have extended markets in, in Singapore, Dubai, maybe you could say Malaysia. You know, it's such a small market, the claims market. We, we work on claims internationally, everywhere. The people you meet, you, you build relationships that, that last for a, a career. But it, it can be such a tight market that you have to be a bit careful what you do. And I, an example of that, not that I did anything, but I was in Singapore 
and I was catching up with a couple of loss adjusters. Uh, and 48 hours later, I got a call from a friend of mine who was the risk manager at an oil and gas company. And she knew what color shirt I was wearing, what drink I was drinking, and what side my hair was parted. So, you know, it, it's such a small market. But the relationships you build, they never leave you, even if you don't see someone for a long time. An example of that was two years ago here, I was asked to meet with some Americans that had come over and that was to do with our public transaction. And I said, who is it? And they said, it's a guy called Michael Gray. And I thought, I know that name. Anyway, the next day I walked into the boardroom and, and Michael Gray stood up and he said, Tim Dearden. <laughs> I said, Michael Gray. Um, we had a bit of a Tim and Michael moment and a reminisce about, I did some great work with him 25 years before. And yet there he was on my doorstep and he's now an independent director um, mm. on the board. So it, it's a great market. What I must say is that I'm so pleased that the claims market has come along so much further than when I started and, and that people can come in and have as equal opportunities in claims, both for progress and remuneration as underwriting. I think there's still some way to go, but most companies recognise the importance of, of claims within their operations. I'm glad you talked about it as being not just about the London market, because it is a truly global marketplace and you see so many risks with so many insurers from different places around the world. At MDD, we carried out an energy survey at the start of the year and I spoke to people in Singapore and in Australia and in Canada and the US and, you know, some of these people were great to speak to. And in fact, many of them I sort of knew, just like your example, from years gone by, and here they are in Australia or South Africa or wherever it is. And it just felt as though the marketplace is so much bigger, but in another way, it's so much smaller because we're so much closer. Yeah. You know, one of the beauties of modern technology is just to be able to connect up so easy with someone like you. It feels like you're just down the road in Jordan, but actually I know you're quite a way away. It, it is an amazing marketplace these days. So let's go back to IGI for a second and just talk a little bit about plans for the future. So is there anything you can tell us about your plans for the future then? I'm hoping for more of the same. You know, we're, we're partway through the journey and there, there's still some way to go. The public company brings new challenges. We're in the early stages of, of our growth planning. The transaction has allowed us to access the US market, which we've never been in before. So that's really exciting. I'm, I mean, I've got some great experiences of working with the Americans and it brings a different dynamic to claims management. It's quite different to the normal run of the mill international stuff. And I'm on myself and my colleague, Mark Sullivan, who's the, the claims vice president here, we've joined the IACP, which is the International Association of Claims Professionals, of the who's who, I suppose, of excess and surplus lines claims. Uh, and we're looking forward to introducing the IGI claims footprint to our new friends over in America. Sounds like you might be doing some more traveling at some stage. Well, it looks that way. We have to build up our relationships again. You know, I've, I've got some. Martin has some, but we've got new lines of business, just taking on the contingency underwriter. So it's all very exciting, all really exciting stuff. Yeah. Cool. So I generally ask people this question to give me their perspective on what makes a great claims handler. So what's your view on that? You know, all the good claims handlers that I've ever come across have, have been passionate about claims. You have to be multi-skilled. It's not just a technical job. There are 
communication skills, relationship skills that are so important. What I've tried to emphasize here to my team is that they need the basic understanding of all areas of our business. If you think of the interaction that you need within a carrier with the management, with accounting, actuarial, exposure management, compliance, you know, the list goes on. So it's a multifaceted operation for claims and you need those skills to be able to, to, to be good at it. The interpersonal side of it, the communication side of it goes with what we were talking about earlier and, you know, we live in an international world. I suppose in the last year and a half, it's always been teams, but you need to have those skills to have the face-to-face discussions and negotiations, particularly in the specialty world that we work in. So you need all those things to be competent leaders. I had some meetings in in Dubai recently when I was actually allowed on an aeroplane. I sat with all my underwriters from the Dubai office and I said to them, what do you think is my best indicator that we have a good claims operation? And they said all the usual things, quick responses, paying valid claims quickly, none of which is wrong. And I surprised them when I said, it's silence. And they looked at me very quizzically and I I said, if no one wants to talk to us in claims, we know we're doing a good job. Because if we weren't doing a good job, the business would start flying out the door and you would be on the phone or on an email um, because brokers have said, you know, we're not giving you this business because you've got a bad claims operation. And that's quite an analogy to make, and I think it's very true. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. And I've referenced that myself in my career with leadership when they talk to me about claims. So I think we're aligned on that point. So I'm really interested in the next question because you've already name dropped Bobby Robson. So I'm really interested in where you're going to go next. So in terms of your career, who have been the greatest influences and why? I think I've probably forgotten more of the influences than I than I remember. And I say that purely because I think when you're younger, everybody you interact with has an influence on you, whether it be positive or negative. You, you take the negatives and, and make that positive as you go forward. And it was interesting, it was two years ago and I was having a catch up with a guy in the market in a restaurant. And one by one, these guys were walking into the restaurant and going downstairs. And I, I, I thought, I recognize them. So I went downstairs and there was about seven or eight guys most of them, all except one, I think, retired, but they were all previously very, very good claims leaders in the market. They were the likes, you may re- recognize some of the names, Barry Moss, Phil Cornick, Malcolm Page, Eddie Myers. Eddie, I'm really sorry, I know you haven't retired. Derek Purcell. And when I say I've forgotten them, obviously you never forget them. I need to be reminded how much these guys had influenced me in one form or another through the early stages of my career. Um, And I think as you get older and more experienced, you become the influencer rather than being influenced. I I can't get away with not mentioning a few names. I mean, Jill Langford at Talbot was uh, a fantastic leader. She taught me a lot of things. And I do remember working at a very young age at Jardine Thompson Graham. You always knew if Ken Williams was in the office, because we had an office of four claims guys and the smoke from his pipe was billowing out of the office. He was a great career claims guy, you know, full of knowledge and I learned so much from him. And for a different reason, Andrew George, who's the, the global chairman 
and CEO, I think, of the Energy and Power company at Marsh now. His positivity was infectious. He he was, we can achieve and, and we can get this done. And I, I took a lot from him in that respect. I think, you know, Andrew, I know, listens to these podcasts. I, I've seen some of his comments. So I'm going to be looking out for his comment regarding your interview. I can remember racing with Andrew around the M25 after an off-site with him in his mini with a Union Jack on the top of the car, I seem to recall. And he remains a great leader for Marsh and a great character and somebody, I might embarrass myself saying this, I sort of have a lot of affection for him in a very business-like way. I mean, these are the guys you want to work with because they're great fun in their own way. They can make life extremely exciting in their own way, but also it's a thrill to work with them. And I'm sure, you know, anyone who's working at Marsh with Andrew will recognise what I'm saying. And that's all meant to be very positive, I can assure you. There was one time we were chatting and he said, Tim, he said, how is it that you have got better relationships with some of our clients than some of my producing brokers? And I said, Andrew, it's very simple. You take their money and I give it back to them. That's a very, very good comment. Very good. Right. Let's just talk about the highs and lows in your career. So are there any high points or low points that you can tell us about? I don't do lows, Barry. I I certainly don't carry them with me. The lows are just learning opportunities. As far as I'm concerned, anyone who's been successful, if they ever tell you they haven't had any lows, they're not telling the truth. But you need to turn those experiences into learning opportunities. I suppose the highs I can categorise both in periods of time and individual achievements. We've mentioned Marsh. There was a great company, great people. I had a great time there. I had a sort of non-traditional, unusual role in so much as I just dealt with complex and distressed claims. But I had some fantastic support there from a number of people one of which might be sitting opposite me in this interview called Barry Jones. You know, the nature of what I did gave me significant exposure to Marsh clients and I've come away with many, many great relationships that I carry forward to this day and that was a very successful period for me. When I joined, uh, we've talked about my my relationship with Vietnam and I, I, I made some fantastic friends and colleagues at particularly PVI. And when I joined IGI, they contacted me and said, look, we've worked with you for for seven years. It's been a great experience. We don't care what capacity you're in now, but we still want to do business with me. So from an individual, personal perspective, those things mean a lot. But you know, I make no apologies for this and people might sort of think they expect me to say this, but my time at IGI has been the pinnacle for me. For so many different reasons, you know, we've we've built a fantastic team, claims team here, both in Amman and in London. And I, I saw I saw a quote the other day which said, "We're not a team because we work together, but we are a team because we respect, trust, and care for each other." And that's what we have. It, it's been a really fantastic experience to oversee their education and development. You know, they all have their individual challenges, as we all do particularly in a change management environment. And I'm proud of of their achievements as individually, as much as I am collectively. And and seeing them establish themselves from Jordan, notwithstanding what we have in London, from Jordan in the international claims market. That said, I never believe that 
anyone's the finished article, but we're sort of ready to meet the, the forthcoming challenges. You know, building this team, I've had massive support from the senior executive management here, which has been consistent from day one. And uh, long may it continue. I'm so pleased for you, Tim, in terms of how things have developed. And, uh, and I'm sure IGI are delighted too. There's something else in the back of my mind that I just wanted to ask you about before I forget it. And that is, what are the challenges that you face having some of your frontline claims adjusters in the man? We do face challenges, but they're not as you might think. You know, we've got some great people and some great talent in the claims operation here. They've been with me personally for eight years, but most of them were here before I arrived. I think the main challenge is time and distance. So we have to meet that challenge. Weekend on Friday and we're two, two hours difference. But we meet that challenge by ensuring that everybody understands that if they need to get on an aeroplane to attend a meeting, we will go on a Tuesday, we'll have the meeting on a Wednesday and we'll come back on the Thursday. That's the remit they have. Everybody has visas ready to go. We have to act as leading underwriters. We are leaders. And so if there's a meeting that we would attend if we were in Lime Street office, then we get on an aeroplane and go. We, we can't have those excuses. And the management here have been absolutely supportive in that respect. Okay, let's just move on a little bit further before we get to the exciting bit of the interview where we do our quick fire round and I, I find out nervously what you're most interested in. Just tell me, in terms of your aspirations for the future, anything in particular you can tell me? I want to see IGI through the next round of challenges and we've got some exciting challenges to come. I want to help to continue to develop the team and our claims offering to our clients. You know, when, when the airways start to open, there's a lot of catching up to do and new relationships to build with the new lines of business that we've got. I mean, I, there's so many people in the company that I haven't actually met that have joined during the pandemic, including two of my own team in the London operation. I, I haven't actually met. Biggest aspiration, Barry, is to get my golf clubs back from Dubai. I need to retrain them, but I left them there 14, 15 months ago, maybe even longer because I didn't want to carry them to London because I was transiting to London and I haven't seen them since. It's another aspiration. I hope they're in a safe place. That's all I can say. Well, I hope so too. All right. You, you've sort of moved on very nicely to the next part of the interview, which is just talking a little bit about you away from work. So tell me, what is it outside of work that you enjoy most? Again, no apologies for this. My, my family is my world. Without the support of my wife, Mickey, who's been phenomenal given the, the constant travel requirements and the unsociable hours, she has been fantastic. I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for her. Um, my son, Benny, uh, who came to Jordan when he was three, five years ago, couldn't speak a word of English. He now teaches me English. And, and my daughter, Chloe, who's got more characters than um, a Harry Potter film. You know, they've, they've been fantastic support to me. And I can't thank them enough. Outside of that, we mentioned golf. I need to get my golf clubs back. There's a fantastic golf course here down in Aqaba. But I wouldn't suggest playing in July or August because it's, it's quite hot. So I'm looking forward to, to picking up my sticks again and, um, and walking around the golf course. We'll have to get you an invite to the MDD Golf Day. It sounds like you could be quite good fun on the course. Maybe I'll have you as a partner or something. We'll see. Okay, let's move to a bit of fun. Uh, let's do the quick fire test. I've had to change some of the questions because some of them were probably more allied to some of my f 
female interviewees than male, but I've, I've managed to remember to change them. So let's see how we get on. Firstly, rugby or football? Strange answer, bearing in mind my history, but rugby. It's a shocker. A shocker for you. All right. TV or radio? TV. BBC or ITV? Can't stand the adverts, BBC. Meat or veg? Meat. There's a surprise. Work or holidays? This is a big, big question. Yeah, you need the work to get the holidays, Barry. So anyway, I'm going to say holidays. Yeah, you know the IGI leadership are listening in on this one. They'll mark your record accordingly. Lloyds or companies? Companies. Yeah, there's a surprise. And one of my favourite questions, 1980s or 2020s? I'm going to say the 20s because it's been such a successful time for us. So 20s. Well, you're the second person to say 20s. The, the last person who said it, I think, was John Sargent from Swiss Re. And his excuse was he wasn't born in the 1980s. <laughs> Maybe I need to change it to 1990s. I have to think about that. OK. And finally, well, I'm interested in this one. Harley or Porsche? Neither. I can't get my family in either of those. So I'm happy with my Pajero. So, OK. All right. Well, Martin Clark is very disappointed not to hear Harley because He's a complete motorbike fiend. In fact, I went and played golf with him a couple of weeks ago and he was threatening to bring his golf clubs on the back of his motorbike, which I think would have been quite a sight, but he reckoned he'd adapted his motorbike so he could carry his golf clubs on it. So I'm, I must see that. Maybe we'll make sure he comes to the MDD Golf Day for the same event as you and we can all have a laugh. Okay, we've reached the end, but I have one final question for you. I'm trying to guess what the right answer is going to or what not the right answer, but what the answer will be, but we'll see. If you'd not been in insurance, what career would you have ideally had? Well, when I was considering my Wigan Poland offer, I had some kind of, for whatever reason, I, I, I thought I wanted to be a policeman. So I, I applied and I went along and took the test, uh, which I passed. And when you'd finished the test, you were taken into another room to get a medical. And as soon as I walked in the room, there were about 20 guys there. I saw this nurse doing a colourblind test. Have a guess who's colourblind. I hadn't thought about it previously, but anyway, the only chair left in the room was next to the girl, the nurse that was doing the colourblind test. And it was one of those with the dots where you turn the pages and you have to say the number in the dots. But there were five guys that went before me. So I memorised everything that they said. When it came to my turn, I, I knew all the numbers. So I passed, but I had to think about it. And I, I imagined me in a squad car talking on the radio and saying, I'm following a green escort. Oh, no, it's blue. Or maybe it's orange. Oh, I'm not sure what colour it is. So Wigan Poland it was, because I couldn't afford to have that liability for the police. So, yeah. Tim, it really has been great talking to you. I think for... Our, our listeners, we've talked to a lot of people in London and there's a certain perspective that goes with that. To hear someone from overseas, and I've got other people that I'll be talking to from overseas, I think it brings a, a different perspective to the subject and it's been really interesting. It's great to hear how well you're doing at IGI. As I say, from a personal perspective, you know, I'm delighted for you, Tim. And therefore, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today and I'd like to wish you all the very best for the future. Thank you, Barry. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you. Great. Well done, Tim.